Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life, and that's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. This episode of Motley Fool Answers is also brought to you by Eero. That's spelled E-E-R-O, by the way. Never think about Wi-Fi again when you can have brilliant, hyper-fast, super simple Wi-Fi system with Eero. And now the second generation Eero is tri-band and twice as fast as its predecessor. For free overnight shipping, visit Eero.com and at checkout select overnight shipping and the promo code FOOL. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool. Bro, our listeners don't realize it, but we actually took a month-long hiatus. We did. It's so good to be back together. It is good to be back together. Today is the fifth and final installment of our deep dive into the market sectors, thanks to the folks at the Industry Focus Podcast. If you've been keeping track, you might be able to guess that today's guest is Taylor Muckerman, who's going to walk us through the five trends in the energy sector that you should be keeping an eye on. We're also going to answer your question about investing in Canada. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. It's time for Answers Answers! And of course, we have our special guest in the studio today, Taylor Muckerman. Hello! Happy to be here for the reunion show. Isn't this great? <laughs> oh, it's so nice to get back in the studio. I was explaining before the show that being on the show is my time to kind of like get my, my sillies out, I guess, with you guys. Responsibly. 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 It's on air, so it's confident. Yeah. (laughs) If you heard the stuff that we edited out, well. Yeah. So, Taylor, you cover uh, the energy sector, energy and materials. Is that safe to say here at The Motley Fool? Um, Legacy, yeah. That's how I started here at The Fool and uh, just kind of continued side of desk with that industry focused podcast, as well as um, in Canada, energy materials, huge part of their, their stock market. So. Just so yes, knowing of, that today's since question, you bring up Canada. since you brought up Canada, <laughs> yeah, today's sure. question comes from Leanne, who's from Vancouver, which I've always wanted to go to. Same. I live in Canada and buy stocks in both the Canadian and U.S. indexes. In trading in U.S. stocks, I am also exposed to currency fluctuations. Should I buy Canadian stocks when my dollar is low, and U.S. stocks when my dollar is high, or is it a fool's errand? I see what you did there, Leanne. Mm-hmm. To time these fluctuations. So. What we generally tell our members is, we'll call it a fool's errand, because um, we love the diversity that the U.S. market provides. And if you look at the long-term trend of the Canadian dollar versus the U.S. dollar, it's right around 81 cents to the U.S. dollar. So you're not too far away from that right now. And the band that it trades in is pretty tight. So um, sure, if you buy in a, in the 60s, you could see some some deterioration of your returns as the U.S. dollar, you know, as it kind of returns to more normalcy and the low 60s is where our advisors in Canada kind of shy away from investing in U.S. stocks, but 70, to, 70 cents to the dollar, 80 cents to the dollar, totally okay with that, because 84 cents is generally the, the norm over the last four or five decades. Yeah, I would just say it's very difficult to predict where currencies yeah, it's go. I mean, timing, it's, it's not easy. We always say that about the stock market, but currency is even crazier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I, I personally almost always ignore currency when it comes to investment decisions. It's still important mm-hmm. when you're when you're looking at your returns and investing overseas, currency over the short term can account for thirty to fifty percent of the sure, returns. Yeah. The problem is it's difficult to predict which way it's gonna go. Yeah, we're talking multiple years of investing here at the Fool, so generally those currency fluctuations will wash themselves out. 
So then the advice about long-term investing didn't change when you go over the border? No, it sure it. didn't. Now, uh, <laughs> there's, they like the trading out there just as much as they do in the U.S., but we, we try to uh, continue the foolish brand. Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. And Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org number 3030. So, in case you weren't listening at the top of the show, we have Taylor Muckerman with us, and he is uh, a fool, and he's been covering the energy sector and also Canada, Mm -hmm. and you also are on Industry Focus, so we brought you in to help us tackle the energy sector. High time I finally got on. I know, you're I'm the honored. last one. Yeah, the best ah, for last. We did. We all, well, don't say that to the other ones. I mean, <laughs> the other ones. They're human beings. They all by listen the way. to the show, by the way. <laughs> they don't. They don't listen to me. No one listens to me. What'd you say? Right. All right. So. You are here to share with us five trends to watch in energy, but before we get to that, we want to hear your story. Taylor, how did you come to work at the Molly Fool? Uh, September 2012, my, my first month here, so uh, going on, I guess, five years coming up. Uh, started here after grad school, uh, an editorial slash investing team uh, with the energy and materials coverage, so I did that for a couple of years, and then my, my strengths there lent nicely to the Canadian business, so starting in 2013, work inside a desk with Brian Richards, uh, getting Canada up and running. October 2013, we launched Stock Advisor Canada. Was an analyst on that service, still side of desk, and then around Easter of 2014, made the full-time jump. And how do you like uh, Canada? Uh, I love the international team. Very small, scrappy, and uh, really growing like a weed right now. So that's wonderful. Super fun, yeah. That's great. And just to be clear, are you Canadian? I am not. No, not I am Canadian. the only non-Canadian member of our of our Canadian team. We have Ian Butler, our chief investment advisor, lives just outside of Toronto. Jim Gillies, longtime fool, uh, another advisor of Pro Canada, lives also outside of Toronto. And Rob Crawls, member services guru, out in Vancouver. Got it. Before we get into these trends, can you give us a quick rundown of what types of companies are in this sector? Oil. For, I know oil. Oil, yeah. Right, that's that's the oldest probably. <laughs> right. um, starting with, yeah, with the dinosaurs. Um, so you have oil, big oil. Exxon's probably the most recognizable name for people in the US, maybe in the world. Uh, they call that an integrated oil company because it, it explores for oil, it, it produces oil, and then it refines oil. And also, provides some chemical products even. So that's the biggest, most integrated oil company you can find. Then you can break that down into the other smaller sectors of the industry for just explorers and producers. Then you have services companies that provide the tools, the picks, the shovels. Um, Personally, that's one of my favorite sides of the oil and gas industry to invest in. Then you have the refiners, pure play refiners, and the pipeline companies. So Kinder Morgan, Enbridge are are the two biggest. Um, Enbridge took over the mantle once they bought Spectra Energy uh, late last year. All right, and beyond oil, there's beyond so oil, much. there is a lot beyond oil, and that's growing in importance. Um, coal, less of importance uh, over the last five to ten years. Uh, then you have renewable energy, wind, solar, hydro, is uh, the biggest in Canada. I mean, it, almost all of Canada's energy is provided by hydro hydropower, um, and then uh, natural gas subset of coal and or subset of oil, excuse me, 
and uh, biofuels and things like that. So, What do you consider like a good representative of that? Because when you look at the typical energy sector, mm-hmm. ETF, it actually hasn't done very well over the last sure. few years. And I remember, uh, this is about five years ago, I was at an investment conference, and a guy was saying, you have to buy energy right now, because mm-hmm. obviously the world runs on energy. Everyone yeah. needs energy, so obviously it must That's be a great, the argument. It, it must be a great investment, <laughs> yeah. but it really hasn't been, at least over the last few years. No, every, November 2014 is when the rug got pulled out of uh, the oil and gas industry, mainly oil, um, when OPEC decided that the U.S. was getting a little bit too big for its britches, and they weren't going to... So, OPEC traditionally has tried to keep oil prices high by curtailing their own production. It's the cartel of 14 countries around the world. Um, very dependent on oil and gas revenues for their budgets and and social spending. And so, in 2014, Saudi Arabia, the biggest oil producer of the bunch, said, we're we're just going to produce to the gills. We're going to flat out produce as much as we can. We're going to keep our market share, maybe gain some market share. And in one day, the price of oil fell 50%. Amazing. Wow! Just because they flooded the market with oil. Well, just the announcement. The announcement <laughs> oh, just that the they announcement, were, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so ever since then, the market's been trying to find its footing. Uh, they thought that they could, you know, price out some of the U.S. shale producers because at the time, U.S. shale was just getting started on a grand scale. It was expensive. Uh, the the wells ran dry pretty quickly, but uh, America's pretty crafty, and and we we showed them that shale's not going anywhere and oil's still in the $40 range to this day. Hmm. So, I mean you saw some some bumps up into the $60 range, but it's not looking good and and now you see some dissent within OPEC because they realize that they don't have the sway that they've had since the 70s. Yeah, I remember we used to do we used to host a little energy podcast mm-hmm. together, yeah. you and me and <laughs> back Joel. in the day in the yeah, studio, the yeah, digging for value. Digging <laughs> Such a great name. <laughs> Such a great name. Uh, so I learned a little bit about the energy mm-hmm. sector then, and I remember just how the media was never happy, no matter where the price of oil sure. was, right? Because if the price of oil is too high, we're all you know emptying our pockets mm-hmm. at the pump, you know. We're, and then, but if oil's too cheap, oh, it's all it's too cheap. Yep. The economy is going to collapse. Blah 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 blah. There's just no. Is there is there a happy middle ground, or are if we all going to be miserable? <laughs> if there is, they don't talk about it. Yeah. Because right now, um, you see a lot of you saw a lot of job loss in the sector, and what a lot of people don't realize is that. Uh, since the recession in 2008-2009, a grand majority of the job growth in the United States has come from the oil and gas sector, um, simply because of the rush to these shale basins in North Dakota, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, and even some here in the Appalachian regions. If you stripped out those oil and gas jobs, we might still be at a net loss since the recession. Um, and even still, that flows over into capital expenditures in the manufacturing sector with the chemical plants that are being built in the Gulf of Mexico area, so supremely vital to our economy. But uh, yeah, you only hear about the peaks and the naders. Uh, mm-hmm. One hundred forty dollars a barrel was way too much. Uh, that that filtered down to the pu- the price of the pump, and now you see uh, destruction of jobs and and spending when the price is forty dollars a barrel. So it's it's tough. It's a cyclical industry, is the best you can put it. You, it's really tough to time a bottom in the top, uh, especially in a sector like this. All right, well, let's move on to the five trends to watch mm-hmm. in energy. Dun, dun, dun. Sure. Trend number one is. America is still disrupting the world, uh, natural gas and oil. I, we talked about it a little bit. The reason why OPEC is, is having some internal strife, um, you see some members basically 
disregarding their agreement in the last few days, Ecuador being one of them. Uh, they had 95% compliance with their cuts in May, down to 78% in June because they just they can't survive right now. So they're they're starting to produce above their their cuts, and we're the reason why. If you look at uh, 2015. Was was the first year that we've produced over nine million barrels a day since 1973. Um, bef- in between then and now, we've produced as low as in the four million barrels per day. And so, to see that kind of growth in a very short period of time, less than a decade, it was was pretty astounding. And it's all to do with uh, shale drilling and fracking and uh, technological revolution that started here in the United States, slowly spreading to other areas of the world. Um, you call it unconventional oil and natural gas production. Uh, what Saudi Arabia and OPEC does is conventional, simple drilling, well, simple in terms of uh, comparatively simple, uh, just drilling straight down into vast basins of oil and gas, whereas fracking is drilling down a couple miles and then horizontal a couple miles. And then, wow. And then basically uh, setting off fireworks uh, underground to, f- to create fissures in the ground and release Super, super hard to find oil and gas that was once thought uh, un- unrecoverable. So, um, just release the floodgates, and you've got the Bakken in North Dakota, uh, the Permian in Texas, the Eagle Ford in Texas are the three biggest producing basins we have. And they thought that forty dollars a barrel was gonna was gonna cut everybody out. And companies like Eagle, uh, companies like EOG and Continental Resources um, and and Occidental, they they proved everybody wrong and. The, the break-even cost of a barrel here just continues to drop, uh, and it's just thanks to ingenuity here and, and hard work. Um, natural gas, lowest prices since 1999 last year because of the tremendous production, and you see that eat away at other power sources like coal. Uh, took over coal in the United States as the number one power source of power in 2015, hasn't looked back. Uh, coal was the number one source of energy for Decades here in the United States, uh, and and it's unlikely you'll you'll ever see it at that top spot again, um, because natural gas and, and we'll talk about renewables later on in these trends. But the U.S. it's it's impressive, and and the book The Frackers by Gregory Zuckerman. Uh, if anybody wants to read that book, to get an idea of how this started and, and where its potential still lies, it's it's the best book I've read about in the, in the energy sector in the United States. So, the drop in prices. I mean. Bef- other than even just if you invest in they affect us in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're paying less at the gas pumps. Mm-hmm. It's keeping inflation down. That's it one is. of the economic stories of this year that you don't hear discussed too much, but mm-hmm. inflation is actually going down. Mm-hmm. We're not at deflation yet. And that affects things like Social Security benefits because they're indexed to inflation. Mm-hmm. So it has this ripple effect throughout the economy that prices are going down. Yeah, and, and if the cycle turns, then you see that it could be a supreme rush to inflation because the prices haven't been this low in decades. Um, and if you looked at the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index, energy had the worst first half of any sector of commodities. It was down 11%. That includes you know, natural gas, oil, uh, both Brent, which is the international price of oil, and West Texas Intermediate, which is the U.S. price, um, because of its hub in Cushing, Oklahoma, um, and and then you've got uh, heating oil and and coal. So the energy sector is struggling mightily, broadly, uh, not just oil. All right, let's move on to the second trend. OPEC's fading influence. I hinted at it a little bit there. Um, 
they were they were the bully on the street when you talked about oil up until 2014 when they tried to flex their muscle yet again and and they realized that it, it just isn't going to work. Um, they've even tried to draw Russia into the mix in the last year or so to get Russia to comply with some production caps because Russia huge producer of oil and gas and and they they realize that hey we can't do this on our own. When you look at Saudi Arabia. Saudi Aramco is their national oil company, produces 10.5 million barrels of oil per day. So you're looking at 1 million barrels per day, more than the entire United States, from just that one wow. national oil yeah. company. And they, they don't have the cloud anymore to uh, to control the markets, is essentially what they try to do, is a cartel. Nothing inked in blood, but it was working for decades. So everyone thought that this is the end of oil when when you know, Saudi Arabia decided to flood the flood the markets, and it, it just hasn't worked out. I mentioned these small countries like Venezuela, Libya, Ooh. Nigeria, Ecuador. Um, they're all they all relied on high oil prices to fund their social programs for forever, and you're starting to see a lot of unrest in some of these countries. Uh, Saudi Arabia isn't too far behind because well over 50% of their budget is relying on oil prices above $80, $90 a barrel, and we're at half that. So. Right. When you talk about people thinking that oil is too low, that's mm-hmm. part of the reason. These geopolitical concerns oh, about sure. all these countries that are relying on oil revenues that mm-hmm. are just not coming in like they used to. Yeah, and it, it is an interesting weapon in the geopolitical sphere, and it's one that America has the strength right now. And with these, the low interest rate environment that we started after the financial crisis helped create a lot of this ingenuity in the United States because these oil companies really levered up and they spent a ton of money to on this technology that was once expensive. And through these interest rates that they got in the 1% to 2% range, they were like, heck, let's it's worth shopping. it. Yeah, yeah. let's, let's yeah. do this. Let's, let's uh, load it up and buy as many rigs as we can and get to pumping. We'll figure this out before interest rates rise and we'll be able to pay these debts back with all this newfound oil. Um, and so, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, if you look at the list of 14 OPEC countries, there's a lot of countries on that list that we might not agree all the time with. Uh, so it's it's outside of military. Uh, I think the, the price of oil is probably the most influential thing you see going right now in the geopolitical sphere. Mm-hmm. All right, the third trend. Uh, the third trend, um, lack of long tail projects as a result of um, the the price collapse we've seen over the last few years. Companies have been very, very hesitant to spend money on projects that might not come online in five, 10, heck, even 15 years, because um, that's what you've traditionally seen is these conventional oil projects that are tapping into these massive basins. Um, and a lot of the low hanging fruits already been plucked. So now we're, before the price of oil fell off the cliff, offshore was like the next big frontier. Brazil, with the most vast offshore oil reserves in the world, was like the hottest place in the in the globe for an oil executive to go visit. Uh, now, no one talks about the pre-salt formations in Brazil because it's just too expensive. So I certainly have stopped talking about the pre-salt formations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just I mean, the other that, day, my kids yeah. were saying, why don't we ever talk about the pre-salt formations anymore? Yeah, the Olympics was the last thing they had going for them, and everybody thought that you know this is the next big thing. Gulf of Mexico oil uh, auctions dried up. Uh, you see the same thing in Australia. And so... But these are the projects that deliver long-lasting oil production. Shale oil wells, if you look at a decline curve, you're losing over a third of third to a half of the oil you're producing per day in the first year. So you have to continue to drill and drill and drill new wells in order to continue this growth in production or maintain production. 
and you've seen over a trillion dollars in spending wiped off the map for planned spending wiped off the map since 2014 because they just can't justify it with internal rates of return right now with oil in the $40, $50 range. And as much as they tell you that they know what the price of oil is going to be in a couple of decades, they don't Mm -hmm. um, because everyone got caught off guard with, with OPEC's decision in November of 2014. And so... You see a lot of executives and think tanks coming out saying, in the next five years, maybe maybe three, but five to ten years, we could be in a, in a big supply crunch um, if we don't get this figured out, and if shale can't continue its, its strength that it's seen. And we haven't seen it emerge in places like Argentina, which is ripe for, ripe for fracking. China is ripe for fracking. But they don't have the infrastructure that the U.S. has in terms of pipelines to access these remote areas that are frackable. So, if we don't see these long-tail projects come online, uh, you could see the price of oil climb right back. Frackable is the word of the day, everyone. Frackable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The fourth trend. The fourth trend. Um, again, hinted at it. Coal is dead. Um, you, it was a pretty hot-button topic. During the elections, yeah, um, clean coal, clean coal, gonna yeah, bring coal back. Well, uh, coal's come back a little bit, yeah. um, and that's because China closed about a thousand mines last year on the metallurgical side, which is the coal necessary for steel production. Hmm. Um, and so the price of steel sh- or price of coal shot up two, three x pretty rapidly. And so you've seen a couple of coal companies in the United States. Started a couple mines back up, or one even opened in Pennsylvania in the last couple of weeks. Small. Now, this isn't like a huge job creator. I think 1,300 jobs have been created in the coal industry since the election. Um, so nothing remarkable. Um, but you still see it. You still see the administration touting coal is back, baby. We're doing it. But then you see the CEO of CSX a couple of days ago telling his investors. And and coal is the life has been the lifeblood of CSX, the railroad that railroad, runs yeah. north and south along the Appalachian Trail. Um, that's been their lifeblood. It was a twenty percent of revenues uh, this last quarter, but it was well over fifty percent of revenues at one point. And he said he basically said coal is dead. Wow. And and the and the price of the stock dropped six percent in succession. Mm. So um, it's it's going to be a tough ride, and metallurgical coal is a small subset of the market. Thermal coal for power production is where you really see a lot of the demand, uh, in terms of historical demand, and that's that's on the wane. The UK is using less coal than it has in 200 years. China has a goal. I think they get like two three quarters of their power comes from coal, but they have a goal to drop that below 50 percent in the next 20 years. Uh, the U.S. as I mentioned. It's now second fiddle to natural gas, and uh, no one sees that coming back. So, the clean coal argument. Southern Company is a big utility in the South. Uh, they've been working on a clean coal plant facility, their Kemper facility, for as long as I've been covering the sector, and it's still not online. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, regasification, uh, so they capture the carbon and then and then refilter it multiple times. Um, but it's wildly expensive, and no one else is trying to do it because they see the impact that natural gas is having. Uh, it's easier to transport, it's cheaper, it's cleaner, and it's more abundant. All right. And the final trend to watch. We've been talking a lot about coal and oil. Yeah. Now it's time to talk about... What I imagine is the next frontier uh, yeah. is renewable energy. 
and I mentioned the flywheel is is picking up speed, and, and it truly is. Do you mar- mean a literal flywheel, or are we talking the figurative one? Figurative, Cause, cause yeah. Flywheels, well, you, that's the a turbines, form of energy yeah, you get too. the turbines. <laughs> the same idea generally, um, but when you look at renewables, wind and solar accounted for ten percent of energy production in the United States this March. Never been done before. Uh, the price of a of a um, utility sized photovoltaic facility. Uh, it dropped by 50% in the last five years. So in many states, solar is competitive with natural gas. You can't say the same thing about coal. Um, billions of dollars spent globally on both of these projects. And if you look at some predictions from Bloomberg's New Energy Finance Group, um, you've got about 34% of global energy will come from this source, uh, these two sources in 20 by 2040, with the cost of these two dropping 66 cents. 66% in solar and uh, 47% with onshore wind. So both things going in the right direction. Lower cost, more investment, uh, more production, and it's it's 100% clean. You see, you see California in the last couple of weeks having to basically sell their power to other states. So states are basically getting paid to take power off their grid because there's just a wash in solar power during the day. And... Uh, it, they still have that base load from from coal and natural gas and nuclear that's not as easy to shut off as one might think. So rather than let this power dissipate, they, they try to get other states to take it off their hands. And uh, huh. it's, it's impressive. And that's yeah. where Tesla could step in yeah. with their, their power wall and their, and their gigafactory that they're, tr- that they're um, building out in California. That's the one thing that everyone says is holding solar and wind back is storage because you can't store it um, and it's it's not predictable. Wind is not predictable. The sun setting and rising is predictable, but cloud cover is not. So uh, the unpredictability and the storage is the one real big hang up still, but people seem to be trying to figure that out pretty rapidly. So then as an investor, are you looking at ideas? You said you like picks and shovels companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but are you also looking in like the, the the future? I assume you want to invest where the puck is going to be. Yes, yes, you do. In the future, as mm-hmm. opposed to investing in a coal. I assume you are not investing in coal mining anytime soon. No, I've basically told our listeners on Industry Focus to stay away from that sector for at least the last year or two. Um, there's probably going to be some money to be made, but it's going to be hard. Yeah. Uh, so I just stay away from that personally. Um, but that's one thing that I've challenged myself on fairly recently and, and definitely going to be diving a lot more into over the next few months is the renewable sector. Um, there haven't been any tremendous winners yet. It's pretty fragmented, but uh, I'm sure there's going to be some companies out there that you can identify. If you want to if you want to tiptoe into it, you could invest in a company like GE, who's uh, very diversified when it comes to energy. Yeah. They just bought Baker Hughes, so that combination of their energy services business and Baker Hughes is now the second largest uh, oil and gas services company in the world behind Schlumberger. But also, they're one of the largest wind turbine manufacturers um, in in the world. So you can hedge your bets there a little bit with a company like GE or Siemens, very big into wind power and a little bit more stable than than a smaller company in the solar business like a First Solar or SunPower. Um, Total, another hedge company, it's a French uh, oil company that owns, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think it's around 50% of SunPower. So not only do you get the, the, his, the 
age-old thinking of oil and gas, but the, the future, hopefully, with their, their investment in sun power. So um, that's one thing I'm challenging myself on because I'm, I'm pretty hesitant to think about investing in an oil company for the next 30 years. I've never invested in an oil producer. I, I probably never will. Um, the guys in Canada and I joke, it's just where capital goes to die is on the exploration and production side. Not only oil and gas, but also mining. Um, just super, super capital intensive and uh, cyclical. So they get caught off guard a lot. People turn to them for dividends uh, that they often pay out of debt. So um, it, it it's something that I've just always shied away from. So pipelines and, and companies like Halliburton or Schlumberger or National Oil Well Varco, uh, those companies that provide the picks and shovels, like I said, they're still exposed to the cyclicality of the business, but they're generally less impacted by the price um, of oil and natural gas. And historically, they've been a little bit better allocators of capital. So then, for someone who wants to learn more about investing in the energy sector, mm-hmm. aside from listening to Thursdays uh, yeah, episodes Thursday. of Industry Focus, are there any good books or websites? Like, where do you recommend people start? Uh, the Frackers, I mentioned that book. Yep. Uh, couldn't put that one down. Uh, and then, if you want to just get get a good glance of what's going on in the energy industry with a lot of friendly charts, graphs, uh, downloadable Excel files, uh, the the EIA mm. EIA.gov is a great site. The Energy Information Agency, um, tremendous site for for just getting getting your feet wet or getting as deep down as as you want. Or so, drowning in data. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, that would be a great place for anybody to start. They cover they cover every form of energy, uh, not just U.S. energy either. Or you could try the IEA, which is the international branch. Uh, not it's not a branch, but it's the comparison uh, run out of I think Paris. But um, some of that's behind a firewall. So EIA.gov or the Frackers or um, yeah, any, anything you can find on Financial Times generally does a better job of covering energy, I think, than the Wall Street hmm. Journal, personally. But. All right. Well, Taylor, thank you for joining yeah, us. Yeah, pleasure being here. Uh, we're going to have you stick around a little bit for um, a, a deep dive into very, very alternative energy. <laughs> <laughs> My right, palms about, are sweating. <laughs> yeah. How about a disclaimer? Uh, the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks we talked about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Eero for sponsoring today's episode. The new Eero second generation and Eero Beacon allow a customer to build a Wi Fi system that's more perfectly tailored to their home than ever before. The second generation Eero is now tri band and twice as fast as its predecessor, which lets customers do more simultaneously in every room of their home. Eero can also connect to low power devices such as locks, doorbells, and other sensors and more. Expanding your coverage in any room is easy with Eero Beacon. Simply plug it into a wall and you're covered. And you can add in as many any Eero beacons if you want. If there's an outlet, there's Wi-Fi. I can tell you uh, personally that the Eero is beautifully designed, and that setup is a snap. So, if you're looking for a dependable, fast, and a lovely to look at Wi-Fi system, take a look at Eero. For free overnight shipping, visit Eero.com, and at checkout, select overnight shipping, then enter the code FOOL to make it free. Wind, solar, geothermal, hydroelectric, these are all forms of alternative energy. But what about those really, really alternative forms of energy? You guys ready to uh, guess? My Make interest some is peaked. Yes, some quiz- okay. sure. I got three, three stories for you about very, very alternative forms of energy that you get to guess the answer. Some of these 
Some of these, I know you already have the answer in your head for the first one. All right. In Argentina. What's in our head? I, she's saying about what's in our head. I know what goes on in your head, Robert Rocamp. In Argentina, researchers, researchers have developed a special backpack to capture this flammable gas as a possible power source. Well, if you pull my finger. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yes. What's your guess? <laughs> I think I know where you're going with that. So the answer is, of course, cow, cow, cow toots. Can I say cow toots? Flatulence? Cow sure. flatulence. Mm-hmm. There you go. So Argentina has more than 55 million cows, making it a leading producer of beef. And considering that livestock contribute 18% of the greenhouse gases that are warming the planet, yep. it makes pretty worthwhile sense to either try to reduce their methane production or harness it <laughs> for good. <laughs> so That's a job I want. Yeah. Putting, uh, yeah, putting backpacks on cows to capture <laughs> capture that. All right. In 2008, Club for Climate opened as London's first eco-friendly club. <laughs> there we go. And it's in London, so I guess you can pretend you're listening to I don't know. Not only could patrons drink organic cocktails, they could generate 60% of the energy needed to run the club simply by doing what? Uh Pedaling on a bike? Yeah, like pedals at the, or <laughs> dancing. Dancing! Breathing into a... Bro got it right. Dancing. What? That makes more really? sense yes. on a bike. Club for Climate was one of a handful of dance clubs that harness piezoelectricity. Basically, crystals like quartz produce a little bit of current when they are squashed. Mm. So if you put a dance floor on some springs with some crystals under it, and then boom... Wow. You get a little bit of electricity. So taking the power of piezoelectricity even farther, researchers are trying to figure out how to convert the energy of texting, our little thumbs tapping on our phones, into electricity to then power your phone. So did it work? I mean, does the does does this club have lights, or is it always dark in there? Like, well, what if cl- no one's depends dancing? on capacity. Yeah, it depends <laughs> on the 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 queue. Yeah. Gotcha. So I mean, I I don't know if it ever got to be 100% dance dance floor powered. Uh, it didn't survive. They had other ones in Rotterdam and Japan, which maybe had better luck, but oh, okay. this one did not. You also could sign a manifesto. When you got there, because who doesn't want to sign a, yeah. a manifesto when you're hitting the clubs? And uh, you could also get like get in for free if you could prove that you rode a bike or walked there. So interesting. It was 2008, you know. Drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> All right, move over, Iron Man, because a 31 year old Swedish man perhaps came very close to assembling his own personal what in his apartment with materials he found on the internet for the low low price of 950 dollars. Whoa. Iron Man's the hint, I think, but I but don't know. All I can think of is a suit. Gwyneth Paltrow, he, he made his own Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> That's pretty cheap. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what you can find on the internet these days. Uh, no, he did not make his own Gwyneth Paltrow. He made, he almost made his own nuclear reactor. Holy For shaving bucks. cream! So, in 2011, Richard Handel decided to try and build his own reactor. Where could he possibly get the necessary nuclear materials? You might be asking. North Korea. He yes. bought hundreds and hundreds of luminous clock hands on eBay, which all contained an itty bitty little bit of radium. Remember the radium, like the radium girls mm-hmm. who died from licking the anyway. Yeah, so he got radium off of luminous clock hands. He documented everything on his blog, Richard's reactor. But when he decided, <laughs> when he decided he should contact the government government to make sure he wasn't breaking any laws, the government was like, "Yes, you are breaking laws," and they seized it. So 
Wow. There you go. What the heck? I have to say, I don't know who, the, what'd you say, the radial girls or what? The radio? radium, radium girls? They were, wait, are you, um, yeah, no. back in the, you know what I'm talking about? So back in the day, um, women would uh, hand paint the glow in the dark dials and numbers on clocks Ew. and they encouraged them to lick their paintbrush so that they could get it really fine and so they would like dip it in radium lick lick dip in radium draw a lick dip it. so basically repeat and they the women would literally glow oh yeah job job site hazards yeah, yeah. No, give yeah. me the cow toots over that one <laughs> yeah <laughs> they were really popular at raves but you know long term that's good. right yeah, I'll bet they take them to it. the club in London they and we're good to go yeah. yeah so alright there you go three very very alternative forms of energy that's wildly interesting yeah. should have, we should have led with that <laughs> you were wildly interesting too <laughs> well, Taylor I was, I was quite impressed actually you're obviously a smart fellow <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, how do you know all this stuff in your head? It was impressive. <laughs> Podcast, Industry Focus. I listened to it. That's amazing. Oh, so yeah. So listen to Industry Focus, and you too can be as smart as Taylor. <laughs> I believe it. All right, that's the show. So I want to thank Taylor, of course, for joining us. Thank you um, both as well. Three, all three of you. Yes. All three of us, yeah. And like I said, uh, so um, yeah, we got a lot of postcards in. Yay! I feel like I should take these postcards, like I'm like I'm some sort of cocaine drug pin, and like throw them up in the air like money, and then you can roll around <laughs> at it and be like, ah, we're rich now, right? Your sure. wall is quickly You're... becoming one of the more fascinating things at the Fool. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, we hang up the postcards. Yeah, yeah. Allison yeah. does. Right yeah. outside the studio. Yeah, they look great. So we've got. Okay, so here we go. It's been a while since we've been in the studio, and I've been requesting postcards this whole time, so they've been coming in. And so I want to thank friend of the show and one of the first pod, uh, postcard senders, Shoots. Remember Shoots? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he sent one from Glacier. Nice. Dale sent one from Green Hall. It's the oldest and still not air-conditioned dance hall in Texas. What? Owen from Sydney went to Riga. Anthony and Susanna sent a card from Guadalajara in Northern California. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but it's gorgeous. Eric went to Dollywood. Walt went to Niagara Falls. Canada. Canada side. Alex in Germany says we sound like an old married couple. <laughs> By the way, Jack is walking the Camino de Santiago in Spain. Rachel is from Rochester. We have so many listeners in Rochester. We love start Rochester. A club. Paul is trying to get us to root for Iowa State. Kim from Plano wishes our show was longer. Uh, careful what you wish for. Uh, Michael from Pittsburgh went to Iceland, and Scott went to Acadia National Park. Wow. I may have forgotten some, um, but hopefully not. And yes, they all go on the wall outside the studio so everyone at The Fool can see how much we are loved and how much we love our listeners it's as so well. true. If you would like to send us a postcard, we would love to receive it and hear from you. Our address is 2000 Duke Street, second floor, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. All right. Has anybody noticed that the floor has changed? Uh, I think we announced that at one point. Maybe we did. The floor has changed. Yeah. If, you, if they still send it to the fourth floor. We're yeah, also on the fourth it. floor. They'll we're on the first, second, fourth, and fifth floors here. So, right? Yes. First, yeah. yeah. Growing like a weed. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> but a beautiful this building weed. will be ours before they <laughs> A beautiful <know> weed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Again, Taylor, thank you for joining us. Mm -hmm. The show is edited Irishly by Rick Engdahl, who just got back. It's good crack over there. <laughs> what? <laughs> that means fun. Oh, really? <laughs> Listen, I don't. I, what you do in your own time to have fun, it's not my business. But you did have your children with you, so maybe, maybe lay off the crack. I'm just oh, saying. They probably had crack too. I bet. All right, our 
email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody.